0: Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Nick Walenda is a seventh generation acrobat who had an impossible dream. After substantial concentration, focus, and training, on one Friday night in 2012, cloaked in darkness and enveloped in mist, Nick Walenda walked across the Niagara Falls on a tight rope, taking steady, measured steps. For 1,800 feet, over 25 minutes as 125,000 people watched in breathless anticipation. Many times we are expected to walk a very fine line and do a balancing act. A step in either direction would have disastrous consequences. This morning in a sermon entitled, The Remaining Time, we will unfortunately get on a tightrope with no place to go but carefully forward if you came here with questions I can promise you you will leave here with even more questions if you came here thinking that you're on a tightrope already I promise you you will leave here thinking that you will be on a tightrope on top of the Niagara Falls when you leave from here our text this morning is first Corinthians chapter 7 and I will focus in on verses 17 through 24 first Corinthians chapter 7 Verses 17 through 24, the entire chapter Paul talks about marriage and we will talk about marriage as we go along. I've divided the sermon into three parts. In the first part, we will look at the concept of remaining. In the second part, we will look at conditions to remain. What are the conditions by which we remain? And then in the third part, which is a major part of the sermon, we will look at the question, why remain or why move? Let's talk about the concept of remaining. This is, a, this is probably a new concept for, for many Christians, but I want to explore it. And in this passage, verses 17 through 24, Paul talks about this in both bookends of this passage. In verse 17 and in 24. So let me read the verses for us. Chapter 7, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. Verse 24, Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. God wants us, Paul wants us to remain in the situation we were when we became Christians. Now we are all in the same place at the same time but your journey to this point in time to this location in time is completely different than my journey or anybody else's journey. And there is a tendency to think that the past is bad and the present is okay and the future will be better. And that's why this passage is so unique. It asks us to remain in the situation that we were in when God called us. Obviously it's not talking about Sin, remain in a situation of sin, it is not a moral issue. It is talking about your social, cultural, personal status that you were in when God called you. And Paul gives three examples. First, he gives a cultural example. He says, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, stay in the situation you were in when God called you. Now, this to a Jewish mind is anathema because... Circumcision was the one thing that was a sign of the covenant that every Jewish male held proud, sign of the covenant that separated them from the neighboring countries. And Paul says, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Stay in the situation that you are in. Then he gives a social example, and he says, whether you were slave or free, stay in the same situation that you're in. And he adds this kind of addendum. He says, well, if you can get free, that's great get free, but if you're a slave, stay as a slave. Now, I want to draw a small distinction between slavery as we think about it today versus slavery at that time. Those days, a bond servant or a slave was a person that had guaranteed food, clothing, and shelter. So it was kind of good in a Culture where everybody was poor and didn't have, everybody didn't have food, clothing, and shelter. So, if you were a slave, you were in a rich master's house, and these three things were guaranteed. So, slavery at that time was an easier thing than what we think about slavery today. But so, Paul says, Stay in your current situation. Then he gives a personal example and says, Whether you're married or unmarried. Whether you were single when Christ called you, stay in that situation. Whether you're married when Christ called you, stay in that situation. The main point is that conversion does not alter your status in life. It may alter your moral outlook and your spiritual outlook, but it need not alter your economic, your social, your cultural status. There are people in Middle Eastern countries and communist countries whose status gets worse after they become Christians. They stay in the same status and continue as Christians. So we have a problem. Does it mean that we shouldn't improve? Does it mean that we shouldn't try to get better? Because we know that positive discontentment is what drives improvement and growth so how can we reconcile the fact that Paul is saying stay in the same place and any idea of growth in the second part of the sermon we will look at some conditions to remain the key point in this is that there are no rules here because Paul is saying whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised it doesn't really matter It's not a sin whether you do one or the other. It's not a sin whether you're slave or free. It's not a sin whether you are single or married. So it's not about right or wrong. But he gives us some conditions by which we should remain in the same place, in the same situation. Let me just read this passage. There are four phrases that he says from verse 17 through 24. And I will read certain verses and I will highlight these phrases. He says, Nevertheless, each person person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is a rule I lay down in all the churches. So it's not just for the Corinthian church. It was for all the churches that he was associated with. He was giving them this command. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Verse 22, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So there are four phrases, live as a believer, keep the commands of scripture, become slaves of God instead of humans including self and being responsible to God. And all these are just components of one thing and the one thing is to pursue the calling that God has placed upon your life. If you can pursue the calling that God has placed upon your life in the place where you are or you were, remain. If you cannot pursue the calling that God has placed on your life, if you cannot live as a believer, if you cannot keep the commandments of scripture or you cannot remain as a slave of God or become responsible to God in the place where you were, then move. This passage is about marriage and so there are two options in marriage right you are either single or you're married there are many people that are single and they long to get married and then they get married and then they wonder why did I marry this loser and now they're stuck with him or her but there are two options in in marriage either you're single or you're married and if it's not a sin to be single or married then a single person, let's say that he or she is fulfilling the commands, fulfilling the call by which God has called them as a single person. You're going to ask me the question, why can't I get married? Why can't I also get married and fulfill the call that God has put on my life? And so we come to the third part of the sermon and ask the question, why remain? Why is it that we need to remain, or why is it that we need to move? Lady Gaga, in her song, Million Reasons, not my genre of music, but let me quote this. She sang, I bow down to pray, I try to make the worst seem better. Lord, show me the way to cut through all this worn-out leather. I've got a hundred million reasons to walk away, but I just need one good one to stay. This morning, I'm going to give you three good ones to stay. Not just one good one. Three good reasons to remain in the situation that you were in or move to the situation that God has called you. And three reasons, three guidelines or principles that you can take to help in making any decision that you will need to make for the rest of your life. The first one is what I call a compressed time a compressed time. Verse 29 reads, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Time has been shortened. This Greek word, has been shortened, occurs two times in the New Testament. The first time it occurs is in Acts chapter 5 and verse 6. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And you're going to ask me, where does it say time has been shortened? The phrase, wrapped up the body, is the same word that's used for shortened time. And when it is used in the context of time, it means that time has been drawn up together so as to be small in amount. The phrase, time is compressed, is in the Greek construction what is called as a perfect Passive, periphrastic, construction. If it's in the perfect tense, it's as different as saying I eat versus I have eaten. I have eaten is in the perfect tense. It shows a completed perfect action. So this is time has been shortened. And when you say passive, it means that the subject of the sentence is not the doer of the verb. He is the recipient of the verb. So in a passive voice, the subject is the recipient of the verb or the action. So in this phrase, time has been shortened, it doesn't say time is short or time became short. It is time has been shortened. That means time is the recipient of becoming short and somebody else shortened time. Who would shorten time? Who would compress time? When we were in high school, we learned that the, the x-axis was the horizontal axis, and the y-axis was the vertical axis, and, and on the x-axis, nothing changed. it was Time kept moving, and the y-axis, there were things that went up and down because there were the variables there. For time, nobody changes time. Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, blue or green, Indian or American, or any culture you're from, time doesn't change for you. But God can change it and he shortens it. What is the time that God has shortened? Is it infinite time that he has shortened? No, it's not infinite time. There's nothing like infinity minus one hour. The infinite time is not shortened. What is the time that shortened? The today time. Time today. Time before the end of the world. Time before our deaths. Time before Jesus comes back has been shortened. Mark chapter 13 and verse 20 reads, If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. There are multiple other verses where it says that God has shortened time. The average life expectancy in 2015 in the U.S. is 79.3 years. So if you were born in 2015, you are expected to live 79.3 years. And America is number 31 on the list. Hilariously, the country that's number 32 is Cuba. So in spite of the billions of dollars we spend on medical advances and the millions of dollars we spend on health care insurance, and the grass-fed beef that we buy and the organic milk that we, that we buy, we have gained about two months more to live than the average Cuban walking around in Cuba. Number one is Japan at 83.4 years. If the average lifespan in America is 79 years, and let's say that I went to my doctor this past week and the doctor said, you have a condition and you will live only three more years. You see, now time has been shortened for me. My future has been shortened. If time has been shortened for you, what would you do differently? We would reorder our priorities. Michael Buble is a Canadian singer, songwriter, actor, and record producer. He has won several awards, including four Grammy Awards and multiple Juno Awards. He has sold over 75 million records worldwide, but earlier this month, Michael Buble said that he would quit music for good after his son Noah was diagnosed with liver cancer and is now in remission. In an interview with the Daily Mail's Weekend magazine, he said, I don't have the stomach to make music anymore. I don't have the time for celebrity narcissism. This is my last interview. I'm retiring. You see, when something else important came to him in, in his life, he didn't care about making music anymore. He didn't care about the fame. He didn't care about the money. He cared about his son. He's less than 40 years old, so he's going to change his mind and, and start making music again. But you get the idea. <laughs> if time is shortened, what would you do differently? Paul says it better than I can, so let me just read what he says in Romans chapter 13 and verses 11 following. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now then we first believed the night is nearly over the day is almost here so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and debauchery not in dissension and jealousy jealousy he has no time for even the small sins He has no time for the small sins. He has no time for the big sins, no time for the small sins. Rather, clothe yourselves, verse 14, with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul has no time to gratify the desires of the flesh. In a culture where we look for the pursuit of happiness, Paul says, well, we don't have time to pursue happiness. We don't have time to gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm 42 years old, and if I went by American lifespan, I have less than 40 years left to live. Obviously, if I ate a couple of sushis more, I would extend that by a couple of years, I guess. But I have about 40 years left, approximately. Is that enough time for me to do the thing that God wants me to do? No, it's not. And so I'm running now. I don't have time for TV. I don't watch TV shows. I watch movies with my family just because I'm spending some time with them. But I don't have time. I may watch some sports thing going on on the side, but I don't have time to read novels. So I'm, the, you know, I'm a boring, boring person from an American culture standpoint. Last year I thought I knew about 5% of the Bible. And this year, I think it's down to 3%. If there's 97% of the Bible left to learn and to know, I don't have time to waste. I don't have time to do stuff that, that takes away. Time is shortened. Let me give you the second principle why we have to remain, or let me give you the second principle why we have to move, or the principle to help you to make any decision you want to make. I call it a collapsing world. Let me read verses 29 through 31. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. The form of this world is passing away. When Paul says the form of this world, he is referring to the things that he just mentioned, including marriage and sadness and joy and possessing and making use of the things of this this world. All these things are necessary. Marriage and kids and job and education and whatever else we do is necessary. And that's why the Christian life is never about leaving everything and going up to a mountaintop. We are here, and we engage with the world. God wants us to engage with the world and not be entangled in the world. Take a look at this video of a 2011 Japanese tsunami. The world has seen numerous disasters these past few years. Just in the U.S., we've seen hurricanes in Houston, in Florida, in Puerto Rico, in North Carolina. There's been a volcano in Hawaii. There are fires all the time in California. What would you do if a hurricane came to your house and wiped your house out completely? What would you run out with? I'll ask you another question. What if you knew that a hurricane was going to come to your house in one year? Next year, this time. What would you do different? How would you invest in your house then? Would you change the landscaping? Would you get new doors? Would you get solar panels? You see, when everything is collapsing, we have to be smart in what we invest in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, following reads, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything here is passing away. And that is why Paul says there's no point in changing from one status to another status because both the statuses are going to be dissolved. If you're single, stay in the same situation. If you're married, stay in the same situation. There is no time to change from one to the other. We moved to a house about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, and we found out over the last year that The paint job that was done in a house was extremely poor quality. And you touch it, it leaves a stain. Because they had done, as they were leaving, they were trying to get the house sold, they just put whatever paint on it. Well, that's what anybody would do, right? If you're leaving, put whatever paint on it. If you're leaving, you don't care to put the best paint on a house that's going to come crumbling down. There's a balance. I'm not saying that we have to not do anything to maintain. I'm not saying we don't have to engage. We have to engage in this world. But we cannot become entangled. I spent 19 years of my life studying and training to do the job that I'm doing right now. 19 years. That's 1 fourth American lifespan. But that's what I did. I'm not saying that we should not engage. We have to engage in this world. But there is a balance, and we have to walk that balance. The third principle that I have to say is what I call a constant attention. And this principle undergirds everything else that we talked about this morning. In verses 32 following, this is how it reads. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That is the issue in living an undivided devotion and about pleasing the Lord fully. The context is about marriage, and it is true about every other relationship. And we know that when a person gets married, they, they take on added responsibilities. It's different than when you were a single person. Paul's argument is that every relationship, even if it is a divinely inspired, divinely appointed relationship takes away from the devotion that we need to have with God. So it's like we, we have a single-mindedness to God and then you get married and then your wife or your husband takes a piece of the devotion pie. Then you have a kid and that kid takes another piece of the devotion pie. And then your kid is four years old and that kid takes an even bigger piece of the devotion pie. That kid turns a teenager and they take basically the rest of the devotion pie. (laughs) But my point is that we have less and less devotion to God because of good relationships. I'm not talking about unhealthy, I'm not talking about sinful relationships. Let me read a verse that is even more countercultural to what I just said. Verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Wow. Or those who have kids, as if they do not. This goes against the cultural thinking that we have that if we use the resources God has given us for the relationships that God has put us, we are pleasing him. Let me say that again. This goes against the cultural thinking that we have that if we use the resources God has given us for the relationships that God has put us in, we are pleasing him. And Paul says, we are not. Because he said, Act like you are not married so that you can divert all your devotion to God. This is not talking about you're supposed to do responsibilities as a husband or wife, and now you diverted it into you know football and friends and other things. This is talking about directing it to God it's a very fine balance i'm not saying that That we should not do the responsibilities we are supposed to do. But there is a part of us that thinks that if I spend more time with my wife, or if I spend more time with my kids in the relationship that God has given, that that is directly pleasing God. And Paul says it's not. It may be indirectly pleasing God, but not directly. I told you that we would get up on a tightrope. Babe Ruth was an excellent baseball pitcher and a prolific home run hitter who played for the Boston Red Sox and then unfortunately for the New York Yankees in the 1920s and 30s. In one game, an empire named Babe Pinelli once called Babe Ruth out on strikes. And when that happened, the entire stadium started booing. So Babe Ruth turned to the umpire and said, even all 40,000 people think that you are wrong to call that a strike instead of a ball, tomato head. So the, his teammates and his coach got on high alert because they thought that he was going to be ejected from the game. But the umpire turned to him coolly and said, that may be so, babe but mine is the only opinion that counts. You see, ladies and gentlemen, in the game of life, we are playing to an audience of one. And that one is not you. 40,000 opinions don't count. Only one does. Whoever or whatever is competing for your devotion to God needs to be removed. I don't watch R-rated movies, except if it's R-rated for language or violence. Language I don't care because it's not like I'm going to go out and talk that way. Violence I don't care because it's fake blood and fake violence but the other R-ratings are not fake. You get what I'm talking about. There is no male with a partly natural brain whose mind is not in the gutter or teetering on the edge of the gutter. If that means that I cannot watch another movie It's okay. I'd rather not watch one movie and be entertained for even one minute if that means displeasing God. We have to cut off what we have to cut off. And whatever we cannot cut off, we can reduce. So if you're married, Paul says in this passage, don't get unmarried. In fact, he says, never get unmarried because marriage is for life. So if you're married and if you're in a relationship, you cannot cut it off. You reduce the effect of it. You reduce its impact. In fact, seeking God first will make sure that every other relationship is fulfilled. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Since we don't have a devotion meter, I thought I would use time as a guide to check our devotion since all of us have the same time. 168 hours every week. What would a person who is fully devoted to God do with 168 hours a week? I'm going to pray and give the opportunity for anybody to respond. Before I pray, I'm going to ask this question. Who or what is competing for your devotion to God? And if you're in a place where you want to say that there are other things that are competing for my devotion to God, and you want to resurrender your life, you can stand up and I will pray for you. Time has been shortened. Everything is passing away. And God deserves our undivided attention. If anybody wants to surrender their life and say that I want to cut off these other areas, you can stand up, and I will pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It sometimes gives us more questions than answers. But we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for your wisdom. Wisdom to live this life. Wisdom that you have and you know how best to live this life. There is nobody else that is more deserving of wholehearted devotion, Lord God. I pray for these people that are standing up. I pray that in Jesus' name you would give them the power to say no. Give them the power to cut off. Give them the power to reduce and mitigate the things that they are involved in, that we are involved in, and that we need to cut off. Help these people. Give them the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your word, that as they seek to please you, as they play their lives to an audience of one, that their devotion would be single-minded. And we know, Lord, that everything else, every other relationship, will turn out to be a more fulfilling one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.